What is the crack? Welcome back to the Performance Project Podcast, the podcast that aims to provide amateur athletes with professional standard performance information with the whole goal of making you a better athlete. So, Sean, what do we have coming up today? On the menu today, we have recovery and kind of the different aspects of recovery and the science behind the so-called recovery techniques, such as cryotherapy, the, the usual rice, uh, the rice, what else, what have we got, compression, the placebo, massage, foam rolling, that kind of stuff. Love it, love it, yeah. So I think recovery is kind of the missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of athletes, like, because you hear so much about overtraining, like, athletes, like, exceeding their training volume, like, their recommended training volume. But in actual fact, like, it's very rare you'll find an athlete who's actually overtrained, like, a lot of the time they're, like, under-recovered, so they're not spending enough time on their, like, active recovery uh, to heal their body after session so that they can prepare for the next one, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think it's kind of the neglected um, part of, um, say, training. Like, people consider training the most important part. But if you're not recovering properly, you're not getting the proper adaptation that the training provides. So, like, without the recovery, the training itself is futile. So I think, like, it's kind of, we need to shift their thinking towards that recovery is as important as uh, training itself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, so before we go into like the individual modalities, uh, I suppose the sleep is a good place to start because as we all know, that's kind of the cornerstone of recovery. Um, without adequate sleep, you will not, you categorically will not be recovering. So literally just to throw a bit of research on it from the start, uh, there was a study done ad- adolescent um, athletes and it found that those who uh, on average had less than eight hours of sleep per night were at an increased injury risk of 1.7 times increased injury risk, which is absolutely crazy. Like, so almost twice the injury risk just from having uh, less than eight hours of sleep per night. Um, but if we're just talking about general sleep recommend- recommendations, it's recommended that athletes get between five and seven total sleep cycles a night. Um, so a sleep cycle, basically, it's uh, an average of about 90 minutes and it goes from stage one light sleep uh, all the way to REM, rapid eye movement sleep. Um, so it's recommended that you get five to seven of these total cycles. So it adds up to about uh, seven and a half to 10 hours in total. So like the, the arbitrary recommendation of eight hours, like it's not plucked out of the air, like it, uh, it comes from somewhere. So it's uh, definitely a good idea to start with your eight hours of sleep. Exactly. And I think um, if you're if anyone is interested in reading the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, kind of goes through the benefits of sleep. And it's quite cool. He talks about like how, how the research shows that two-thirds of people nowadays get less than eight hours sleep which is crazy like um considering sleep is like the sleep is free it's the biggest like enhancer of performance and people still aren't kind of um using it to its full potential and he gave a stat like in 1920 the average sleep the average amount of sleep people got was like 7.9 hours or something like that and well nowadays it's only six six hours 43 minutes um so like our, like it's just crazy how neglected sleep is because it's it's a free drug it's like it's just <laughs> just stupid that we're uh, abusing not abusing it more the best recovery tool we have like um would you have any recommendations for people on how to like actually improve their kind of sleep quality um reducing blue light an hour before bed because the blue light kind of affects the melatonin and melatonin's involved in like making you fall asleep. Um, so that would be one aspect. Cool room because um, when your body uh, like 
it's called the circadian rhythm. So your temperature is under circadian rhythm. And when it comes towards nighttime, your temperatures, um, your temperature um, decreases. So it'll be, you're kind of speeding up the process of your temperature lowering if you have a cool room rather than a hot room. So if that makes sense. Um, and also I think like just possibly reading a book because it kind of calms your mind Um, maybe meditation. I know I do a bit of meditation if I'm stressed or just after like a tough exam or something. Um, yeah, I think that would, yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Like, um, I find that we spend so much time like on our phones these days. It's just normal to be on your phone for like the vast majority of the day. And like yeah. when you're on your phone, you're almost like subconsciously in that fight or flight state when you're like, you're waiting for the next notification. Like you're so reactive, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's definitely a good idea to stay away from the phone. And as you are saying, try and stop that blue light like an hour before bed like fair enough in the aspect of reducing blue light because that has the effect on melatonin production which is essential but also in the idea that you want to dampen down that uh fight or flight system you know so you want to get into a relaxed state so your nervous system is ready for like it's in the rest and digest state so you're ready to recover and um, so yeah, yeah reading a book and meditation at 100 percent degree in the lead up to bed is a really good idea and like people are like how do i know if i've got enough sleep um and one thing was it's just if you can wake up without setting an alarm you've got enough sleep if you need to set an alarm you haven't got enough sleep so jeez like, you just saying that there i'd say i haven't not set an alarm since i was about 16 i'd say <laughs> <laughs> well, how, many, how many hours of sleep would you be getting a night what would you be aiming for i would probably be between seven and eight hours i'd i'd rarely use an alarm now to be fair um, uh-huh. so I literally it's I wake up at the same time either between six or seven and I go to sleep at like uh, ten or eleven. Um, yeah, every every yeah. every day regardless. Yeah, I'd like even if we went past if I stayed up one night at past eleven, I'd be wrecked. I'd I'd be wrecked and I just know the next day it wouldn't be ideal. So lad, um, your body is a temple, boy. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Would you and find it was, uh, it difficult to sleep, say, before like a big game or anything like that? Would you ever have difficulty getting to sleep? Yeah, I would because I kind of like it's it's hard to make to switch the mind off, and I'd always be thinking like of the game. I'd always be like visualization, visualizing what's gonna happen, what kind of stuff is gonna happen, and it's just hard to like not even think about the game. So yeah, before like big big games, I'd struggle, but uh, I'd struggle to get sleep, but I'd still wake up at the same time no matter what for some for some weird reason, like like clockwork. <laughs> exactly, and I. Like, um... A nice segue on so to nutrition. So uh, we covered sleep fairly comprehensively. And like we all know that that's, as you were saying, it's a free drug and it's like the most potent recovery tool that we have. Um, that's something that goes hand in hand with that is nutrition. Like, uh, So yourself as like a high level athlete, what are your own kind of nutrition practices that you use to kind of keep your recovery on point? For me personally, it's just like ensuring I get protein in every meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch, dinner or snack before bed. There's always like some bit of protein um, like for breakfast, I'd have like a protein shake with my porridge. Um, and then lunch could be like, I know Johnny Holland, our nutritionist, wouldn't be a big fan, but I'd have a big, massive chicken sandwich. He'd be like, just leave out the sandwich part, leave out the bread part and have the chicken. I'd be like, nah, I kind of I kinda like, I, I like my bread. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd have, I'd load, I'd load a chicken sandwich. And then at dinner, I'd have either pasta with loads of mince, either like steak, chicken. And then, like, say, after a match, we'd fly into the dressing room. We'd have the Avonmore protein milk, um, either that or or uh, mil- or what's called chocolate milk, muju. And then 
there's a thing I take just because I kind of like through the, my rehab process, I was just looking at different ways to improve recovery and I came across cherry active juice and it just, it, there's a bit of research behind suggesting that it might improve recovery. So I kind of take that after every session, just, just more, even if it's more placebo at this stage, but uh -huh. I kind of think it has an effect. Yeah. So like I a hundred percent agree with you, like the main kind of focus of like recovery nutrition will be like your protein really. But like, first of all, I suppose it'd be getting enough overall calories in to like support uh, growth and maintenance basically. And then secondary to that would be getting enough protein in. Um, and you kind of alluded to like the territory extract, things like that. Like you find that there's so many different um, kind of anti-inflammatory uh, so-called nutrition supplements uh, that are taken these days. And like the, the research is kind of mixed and matched on all of them, you know. So I suppose, yeah, if you find individual benefit, then, then go for it. Like, and there's definitely, it'll cause no harm. Like, uh, but like you hear people talking about like uh, ginger and turmeric and things like that having a massive anti-inflammatory yeah. effect. But like in reality, like the studies where these kind of supplements have had anti-inflammatory effects, like you're eating like five or six grams of the stuff, like you're absolutely <laughs> yeah. Really lengthy, like. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about the chocolate milk there too. Like it's a great blend of like protein, carbs and fat. So like literally it's a ready-made post-workout meal. Like, so it's uh, unbelievable, yeah. Exactly, and it, and it tastes it tastes nice, which is the main part of food. Like you, you have to enjoy your food as well as as Johnny Holland always says. Like there's no point in eating food that you don't like because you won't you won't sustain it if you don't like it. So like you have to find stuff that works for you, and like in uh, recovery is an individualized kind of thing. If if it like reform rolling stretching might work for me, but it mightn't work for you or Johnny down the road. So like uh -huh. it's just it's literally just your own preferences and if it's working why change it or if it's not That's working there. there's different there's different things to look at so you alluded to the foam rolling and stretching there tell me uh what's your own kind of favorite recovery modality or what would you be using like a uh, post game to recover um after a match i my favorite one would be foam rolling and i know foam rolling and a massage and you know the, the science behind it is kind of going to su suggest that there's no effect on like there's no physiological effect of uh, foam rolling or um straight or what's it called massage itself but i find it like it just loosens me out and i just kind of feel a lot looser um and i, I it literally just works for me um what are your thoughts on foam rolling uh well like i like i wouldn't say that there's no physiological effects on it like i'd say like that foam rolling like it doesn't affect like actual tissue structure like yeah but, uh, like, you know it doesn't like uh, increase the length of muscle fibers per se like it, it acts mainly on like the nervous system so I, i've gone through this a load like i've probably said it in the last podcast too but yeah basically at the uh the aim of foam rolling or like its effect is to dampen like the nervous system's protective response on muscle length so basically allows you a short-term increase in muscle range of motion. But the thing that you have to do to maintain this range of motion uh, for longer periods of time is uh, strengthen your muscles in this new acquired range. So like yeah. eccentric loading of the muscles is what you need for uh, mu increasing muscle length. But 100% foam rolling can be really um, beneficial for recovery. Like, and you alluded to massage there as well. And like massage, like the power of touch is massive. Like even on a above a physiological level like on a psychological level the power of touch is huge like i know even myself from a physio uh perspective like dealing with patients who are in like massive amounts of pain uh it's mad how much literally like laying your hands you may not be doing anything like too specific like or yeah. literally just like a gentle massage but it's mad 
the effect that it can have on like pain perception and that. Um, pain perception, yeah. 100% like and it's the same principle with like a recovery massage like say someone with like DOM so like delayed onset muscle soreness after exercise like a massage will help in decreasing this DOMS like and we know that less pain like our pain impairs muscle function so if you have less pain perception then your muscles will be able to f perform better if that makes sense so massage is definitely useful like yeah it does make a lot of sense and like as I said, I know some some players on my team don't even use foam rolling. They don't even, like, they'd be, no, I'm not using that. While others would literally, like myself, do it before training, after training, the night of after a match, the whole <laughs> time. Like, and it's just, it's just weird. Religiously. Yeah. Like, it's just weird how people kind of, bodies kind of, I don't know, respond to different kind of stimulus. Yeah, literally, each their own, 100%. Um, is there any other kind of modalities you've used? Like, I've, I think I saw on your uh, Instagram story there one day, you're using these uh, compression kind of legging things. Yeah. Um, so there are Normatech uh, compressions. And like, I've looked, I kind of like, I just want to try everything and see like, would, would it work for me? And it was good. All right. To be fair. But I think like the kind of thinking behind it is that like, well, the thinking that's kind of been suggested is that like it flushes out lactic acid and increases blood flow. But like, um there's a lot of like with compression garments and compression like socks and pants there's a lot of like variability with the strength of compression so it's hard to do like studies on it and like there from the research there is no physiological benefits from it but it's more like placebo again but it's like it's also hard to test um to see if it has an effect because like with compression you're either getting the compression or you're not getting the compression it's hard to tell someone like they're getting compression when they're not testing yeah. Like, oh, yeah yeah you can't control it with a placebo yeah, <laughs> yeah with, a, with, a, with a control group yeah yeah, yeah. so you yeah. don't know is it the placebo or is it the actual compression itself uh -huh. so i think yeah, what you're alluding to there is like the when you're getting the compression like it's uh reducing blood flow to that area for a certain amount of time but uh it's obviously hard to measure the degree of compression that you need to cause this yeah but like basically the theory is then that once you once the compression is released, then there's an influx of blood, uh, like proper oxygenated blood to the area, which washes out like them hydrogen ions and all that quote unquote like lactic acid, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is meant to help with recovery. And you know what, like the placebo effects and psychological effects um, may be extremely beneficial. Like, um, but yeah, I'm not sure what the research says really on like the physiological effects. But um, yeah, I think the psychological, interesting enough, like the. Psychological psychological measures of recovery are more accurate at gauging performance than physiological measures of recovery. So yeah. uh, I'll say that once more. So psychological psychological measures of recovery. So like uh, a player reported a feeling of recovery. So say if you say to me, "Oh, like I feel like I'm eighty five percent of the way there," but if your blood markers say you're only sixty percent there, uh, research has shown that like the uh, psychological predictors are more accurate than the kind of blood creatine levels and all these yeah. fancy blood markers. Heart, heart rate really variability, good. like all that kind yeah, of thing. Right. It's like the strongest indicator of recovery is mood, actual like the mood of the athlete. Like it's, yeah, it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. weird, like yeah, it's cool. Uh, tell me, have you ever been on for the ice baths? I, uh, I, I, I would use them. I, w I did use them a lot. And then it got to the point where I, geez, I hated them. So I stopped, but I think the uh, you can correct me on this, but I think the research is kind of leaning towards like leaving off ice after training, and um, because the body the body responds by causing inflammation, and this inflammation aids recovery. But like with the ice baths, 
their function is to reduce inflammation so it's reducing recovery and not allowing the the body itself to adapt to training and the training load and the stimulus that was given in training so what do you think uh, so yeah i think there's two kind of takes on it with the whole ice thing like there's uh you kind of take of using ice uh like in acute injuries uh so i'll just touch on that briefly first like um so it was always common practice to like put on an ice pack after an acute injury but there's been kind of some backlash in recent years saying that um the ice will like uh slow down tissue healing basically like yeah. but um the kind of idea is now though that uh it's like applying ice superficially like say if you have a strained muscle like it's not going to cool uh, the actual muscle cells to a level that it will impact like inflammatory response you know so yeah. it's all superficial really um but the effect that like, icing an acute injury will have like it has huge analgesic benefits so uh decreasing your pain which is really really important uh, especially like in the short term after an injury uh so i'd still 100 percent be all for applying ice to like an acute injury um despite what some people say like yeah but uh, uh, on the recovery kind of side of things like ice baths um they i know myself even just from using them like i remember my days in that sunday as well a con box container gym like after. <laughs> yeah we literally spent the summer there when you're like 16 17 like there's like two squat racks two benches and it was literally a shipping container like um but yeah you'd sweat and balls after it so you'd dump into the ice bath and you'd feel 10 out of 10 afterwards yeah um but like on a physiological level uh like it definitely can reduce like your delayed onset muscle soreness so that's like that like pain that you feel um after a workout like yeah um and it is proven to like improve your neuromuscular readiness so basically uh the readiness of your nervous system and body uh to perform uh in a similar activity like sooner than if you didn't go into the ice bath yeah i know what you mean. Um, the one kind of gripe i'd have with it or like the one kind of thing that comes up in the research is that um regular use of ice baths it can kind of uh, inhibit hypertrophy signaling so basically hypertrophy signaling is just like uh the hormonal responses that lead to muscle growth um so if you are using ice baths like after every session like for long periods of time it can impact on like your actual muscle adaptions um so i think knowing when to use ice baths and when they're applicable is important really yeah, and there was, there was one study done, I think they were testing the difference between the right and left leg. So they iced the right leg and didn't ice the left leg and gave them the exact same exercises, the exact same thing for like a week or two. And at the end of the two weeks, they measured like the muscle strength, the muscle size. And like you could see there was a difference. It, the, the left one that wasn't iced was stronger and more like defined than the right one, which, right one, which was iced, which is kind of really cool. That's mad. Yeah, geez, that's just goes to show the effect it can have. Exactly, exactly. I'd say, yeah, the important thing, as I was saying, is like knowing when to use ice baths or when your athletes should use ice baths. Um, my kind of recommendation, like on what the current literature says, is that um, if an athlete has like a high training and game load, like in the middle of the season, and they're finding it hard to recover between games, then I'd say uh, sporadic use of ice, ice baths can be really helpful to make sure the athlete's ready to perform the next day. Um, I'd say when you're dealing with uh, athletes in like their preseason phase or else like younger athletes, so like where the goal of training is bringing about like a muscle growth adaption, uh, then I'd probably leave off the ice baths if possible, just because, you know, as you're saying there, like it can have potential negative effects on muscle growth. Yeah. And like, I think, say, say if you say this is classic GA now, say if you tore a hamstring on the, say a Thursday night before championship on the Saturday and you have to play, icing would be very good in that scenario. 
would you reckon? Like, just uh, rent, like, like... Oh, God, I don't know. Like, jeez. Uh, uh, well, like, ideally, you're not playing by after. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't... I suppose... Icing would have an effect on pain, but like if you have that type of muscle injury, yeah, like, like you're, yeah, I know, you know, you're only going to cause more damage. But yeah, I know for a particular injury, acute, I don't know, generally, like I'd say players, to be honest, would take painkillers in that situation, which again, yeah. like, is not advisable at all. Like, no, um, but yeah, I'd probably avoid against it. All <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pure, it's a pure jaging. Like, I'm playing no matter what, and then you tap five minutes into the game, you can't even run. It's like, I probably, uh, and then you come up, I probably shouldn't have played, yeah. Yeah, like as a physio, I hate that. But like, you'd be kind of questioning an athlete if they didn't have that mindset, you know? It's like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. athlete is like, oh no, no, I don't want to play. Like, surely you want to be playing every single game. Like, if your legs hanging off or not, like that's it. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So um, did your... you ever... Go for a point. Did you ever try chirotherapy? Did you ever go into those minus one o one o eight point five chambers? Never. And you know, what? it actually scares me. No, I never had. Uh, to be honest, have you? I had, I went up to one, there's one up in Ennis and oh my God, it was the worst experience I've ever done. Like you'd walk in and like you go to like a minus 40 first minus 40 room and it's just like, okay, it's that's, you couldn't tolerate this. And then you go into this and you're just like hit with a wave and you're like, oh my God. And like you have to wear a hat, socks, uh, gloves, just in case your hands like get, don't get frostbite. Is that it? Like, do you have jocks on or anything? Or... <laughs> oh, you have jocks on, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And did you find actually any kind of recovery benefit from it? Um, Not particularly. Like, there was no real difference between that and the nice bath. And, like, I think the research shows that, like, in those things, like, water is a better conductor, conductor rather than the nitrogen air, which is in the chamber. So, the what the ice baths themselves are better than the actual cryotherapy, which the research suggests, because the muscle can't get like cold is, is not reducing it the temperature like yeah, it is yeah. in the ice bath. Uh -huh, yeah, I get you. It's mad then though that like, you see like you'd always see on like say uh, soccer players and rugby players Instagram. Sometimes you'd see them like four or five of them would be going to these like cryo centers to get go jump in, and you'd wonder like are they instructed to do that or are they kind of doing it for the Instagram or do you know yeah, like yeah. You'd, you'd uh, have to question that, like. Yeah, like, you'd assume if these players are getting input from, like, the highest level of, like, performance <laughs> knowledge that they'd be doing, like, optimum stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. Tough yeah, to tell. Yeah, you don't know, is it, are they getting paid a hundred thousand euro to go into the ice bath or are they actually going in there for recovery? I you know, know, yeah, a little ad, like, fact. Sean, tell me, uh, what's your opinion on stretching? Do you do it much and do you find benefit from it? Um, I do. I would be, I would be one for stretching now, to be fair more so my hips and my hamstrings um but I w like i know there isn't like it doesn't really reduce injury per se or there's or there's only small reduce it only reduces a small bit um compared to strength work but i would be a big advocate for foam rolling and stretching um because i just like i don't know i like feeling loose i kind of i think it benefits me and yeah i th I, I do it um nearly every every day or every second day Happy days, fair enough. And would you be doing like uh, static stretching or kind of moving when you're stretching or tell me what type of stretches? Um, so say if it was the day of a training, if it, if it was the day of not a not training session, I'd be like, I'd foam roll and then I'd stretch because I'd already, I would already be loose. So I'd like just get more of the stretching rather than just stretching and then foam rolling, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but like on the match day of a match or training, I wouldn't do I wouldn't do static stretching. I'd be more dynamic and like you know, um, kind of hamstring kickouts and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I'd say like, uh, yeah, what you're alluding to there is like the kind of static stretching can have like a potential negative effect on like um force of your muscles contracting, like, um, yeah. but it is found in fairness that like this effect only lasts for really like like fifteen to twenty minutes after the stretch. Um, so I wouldn't really be too worried about it, like, but like you wouldn't be doing it as part of a warm up for a game, like I wouldn't be advised no, to no, really. Like, um, so, so yeah, so would, stick to the dynamic stretching in that scenario. Like. You, so are you saying like, say if you did like static stretches before a game, like it, it could like actually negatively affect your performance? Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, potentially. Like um, it's a, it's more um. It's more applicable to like say an athlete who's like squatting so like you wouldn't be like uh, stretching out your glutes like a proper intense stretch in your glutes and quads before you go to do like a one rep max squat yeah uh, like i feel the research is probably done under them type of conditions uh, as opposed to like a field sport athlete where i'd say like realistically the effects will be negligible but um the fact that we know that there is some potential benefit there like then it wouldn't be advisable to static stretch before a yeah. game and I can, I, like, I remember one time we were doing speed testing in the hall in Douglas J Club. And the first sprint I did, and it was grand, it went, it was grand, like, and then I was like, I'm going to, because we, there was like 37 players to go through. So I started stretching and like foam rolling. And like, I felt like, geez, I feel a lot looser now. And I remember I went and my time was like, was, my time was so bad compared to the other one. It was like, it was just like, Jesus, maybe, maybe foam rolling and stretching before, before a match isn't really ideal. So Jeez, like I kind of, I, what I do now is I like I used to do it just before a match. Instead, I do it like three or four hours before a match, and then like whatever, leave the body, come back to normal. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's mad. Yeah, I suppose sprinting is definitely like an area where, well, it's obviously like maximal force production. Like so. Yeah. Yeah. If um stretching and foam rolling can have any negative impact on it, uh, then it's yeah, probably not advisable to do it just before. Uh, <laughs> no, sprint. no. Exactly. It's funny that you actually saw uh, tangible effects like so quick after it. Like. Yeah, it was it was weird now because I thought I thought like geez, I feel loose now. I'm going to be faster. Well, it was actually the opposite effect. So I think that was that was kind of cool. Oh, fair enough. Um, should we sum it up in some take-homes, or is there any other kind of specific modalities that you want to touch on? Um, I think like even just like stress itself. I think like stress can have effect a negative effect on recovery as well. Um, and like it actually increases injury risk as well because there was a study done on college athletes in America, and the when when the college athletes had to sit exams, the injury rate shot up because they were stressed and um i just think like kind of methods to manage stress can help improve the recovery itself and reduce the injury risk so like things like i know we just talked about in the first one like meditation like meditation just like even relaxing watching a movie just like taking time out away from sport i don't know if you have any if you have any relaxation tips yourself do you yeah like 100 percent. yeah as you know like i'm a big advocate of the whole meditation buzz yeah you're right um but yeah like adequate sleep like like just touching going back to that sleep point i made at the very start like um we know that like decreased sleep as well it uh can like increase your resting cortisol levels so yeah. as you were saying there like cortisol is a stress hormone like um but if you do have an increased cortisol level like it uh kind of promotes forage the storage of fat deposits and it also inhibits muscle growth and decreases um the secretion of growth hormone so it's crazy that um 
controlling that one stress hormone. So uh, it all comes back to your nervous system, really. I can't stress yeah. enough how much it is to um, be able to get yourself into that rest and digest state when you are resting. Because you really do have to decrease those cortisol levels to um, to fully recover, like, and to prevent that um, like decrease in secretion of growth hormone and impairment of muscle growth. Uh, so yeah, really, really important. Exactly. So a few take home. So sleep. We need more sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you just set an alarm, Seamus. Oh, <laughs> that's my lesson today, boy. Fuck. Eight hours, I'd say. Is it good? Like, you know, it's the arbitrary recommendation you always hear but like as i was saying like it's an it's a recommendation for a reason like it is like literally it's the minimum it's like it's the bottom of the period bottom bottom of the pyramid for uh athletic recovery like yeah and like there was people i know people who say oh i can live off four or five hours sleep it's that's that's just wrong like there's only like one genetic disease that affects like 0.0 percent of the population that 0.01 percent of the population that can actually live off three or four hours of sleep but like what they've done is they've adapted their body to neglect like not even like just kind of neglect the impairments that sleep deprivation cause uh-huh. so like they're just used to being sleep deprived but like if they it's actually state, yeah if they actually like slept for eight hours they'd see their performance and everything shoot up and like it's just i think that's just so cool yeah mad absolutely 100 percent um so nutrition as well so we were saying um enough calories is the main thing ensuring you've enough calories for uh repair and function really um yeah. and then ensuring you get enough protein in yep um as at the, that's the old mood like the old mood you the old having more protein milk the like even just a glass of normal like it'll do the job protein shake and uh, a steak chicken breast whatever just get it in Fact, hundred percent. So we go on to some of the modalities. So take home. So, uh, compression. Like, so when you're talking about like bicycle shorts, compression tops, things like that. Uh, like there's not much research done of them at the moment, but they could have. Like the research at the moment, it suggests that they like it could have a potential impact could, yeah. on recovery. And you know they're so cheap and easy to implement that uh they're like advisable for amateur athletes. Hundred percent, I'd recommend someone to use them. Uh, just because yeah like they're so cheap and readily readily available yeah that if, if any effect at all they could be beneficial like and like as we said before it's it's up to you like it's up to you to try and test things and like foam rolling mightn't be for you but stretching could be or compression pants mightn't be for you or ice baths could could work for you it's literally just whatever works for you keep doing it and like as long as you're playing and playing playing happily it doesn't really matter yeah, 100%. So um, I think to conclude this, like, so just coming back to the point that I made at the very start, about, like, it's very, fair, very rare that you'll find an athlete who is actually overtrained. So like if you yourself, you're an amateur athlete, like you're gymming a few times a week, you're training a few times a week, um, look, as opposed to looking at your training load, look at your recovery. So um, people are like, they spend so much time, like making sure their training is optimum. But that's only so beneficial if your recovery is on point as well. So um, just think of that recovery pyramid. So at the bottom, you have your sleep, you have your nutrition. And then building on top of that, you have them specific modalities that we went into. So like the foam rolling, the stretching, the recovery runs, the icing, things like that. Yeah. Um, but you're kind of taking the pace if you're, if you're saying you're a high-level athlete or you're trying to be a high-level athlete, and you're uh, not focusing on your nutrition and sleep. They are the cornerstones and the non-negotiables, in my opinion. 
yeah like sleep and nutrition are the foundations for high performance and like if if you're just neglecting those parts the pyramid is just gonna fall down yeah so, like, it's 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 the two non-negotiables of performance love it that's a nice little tagline right there <laughs> <laughs> we wrap it up there so boy sweet thanks very much thank you so much for listening